2: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Adam Holland. How you doing, Alan?
0: I'm doing well. It's good to be back. Uh, ready to go over um, some of the new topics we've been covering the last couple of weeks.
2: Well, the first one we should talk about um, is uh, a somber one. Uh, it's been a week since we received the news that um, Spencer Webb uh, died in an accident. Um, you wrote an article about it that uh, went up today uh, in memoriam of Spencer Webb. Uh, what did? What were your feelings about the guy?
0: Honestly, um, it's just like I said. It's 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 kind of a, a tough thing to wrap your head around. Sometimes, um, you know, I mentioned that in the article that you know, especially when you really see somebody just kind of, just kind of entering the prime of their life. Uh, you know, they they got their future right ahead of them and everything. Uh, for something like that to happen, it's it's uh, you know really difficult thing to kind of grasp and. You know, uh, as much as you know, the players and teammates are feeling it. You know, his friends and family are feeling it even more. So, yeah, always, always a tough thing, and and just you know, thoughts and prayers are, are with an, anybody that was um, you know close to him at this point.
2: Yeah, it's particularly poignant where, you know, when, when anybody loses their life before it's their time. But, you know, in, in particular, I think, you know, with, with college athletes and college football players in particular, that like, you know, they're so young and they're so vital. And I mean, they literally dress like comic book heroes and, you know, the, the idea that they're mortal, um, and as fragile as anyone else is, you know, it's shocking. Um, you know, and this isn't the first Oregon football player to you know uh, die in an accidental death, um, and probably won't be the last. Uh, you know, we, you know, we go through this every every once in a while, and and there's never you know anything that anybody can say to make it better uh, or nicer or you know not a, a sort of grim reminder of our own mortality. I hope everybody stays safe. Is about the only thing that I can say. Um, And the other thing that I, I, you know, I feel is appropriate for us to talk about, given our our role as sports writers, is, you know, what Spencer Webb's career at Oregon, you know, meant. um, Which, you know, I felt like, I don't know, maybe you feel differently, but I felt like it never really lived up to its full potential. And maybe he was looking at that in 2022. And, you know, it doesn't add to the tragedy. It is a tragedy all on its own. Um, but it it was, it was painful for me because like, I really felt like Spencer Webb was going to have a great season that, you know, the way that this offense was setting up, I really felt was going to use him better than he had been used, um, uh, by previous staffs. And to see that cut short, um, it really hurt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and no, I, I do agree with that take. Um, I think one thing to liken it to was interestingly enough, I brought up in my article that, um, during his freshman season or red shirt freshman season when he was playing, uh, more consistently, uh, was with that historic 2019 squad. And, uh, he actually ended up filling in for, uh, Jacob Breland, who at the time I think was, was having the kind of breakout that I was kind of expecting from Spencer. Um, Breland was kind of like sparsely used from here to there. Um, and then kind of just all of a sudden he really started, you know, when when they had um, kind of the new offense instituted, it was more um, more based on, on just kind of like the downhill passing game. Uh, Breland really started to thrive in that. And then unfortunately, like I said, he had the season-ending inj- injury and then kind of Spencer Webb had to step in for that. I was expecting something uh, kind of similar from Spencer Webb. I was thinking that maybe, uh, like you said, given the new offensive scheme and everything, that he really might have a uh, start – you know, a breakout performance in, in the first half of the season, at least. And um, yeah, to, to see that happen right when it's uh, right when it's on the on the cusp of, of something special is, is, is hard to hard to deal with, for sure.
2: Well, yeah, I, I mean, in 2019, well, really, for the last couple of years, you know, at Oregon, the tight end situation was I mean, it was messed up, right? Like, you know, Jacob Breland broke his leg. Um, and in 2020, the health, you know, Patrick Herbert, little brother of Justin who came in as a, as a four star in 2019, you know, that, that guy's had health problems his entire, you know, his entire time, uh, at Oregon, you know, which is undeserved, you know, it was so bad that in 2020, DJ Johnson, um, was, you know, they, they had to force him into action and Hunter Moyer, who's, uh, you know, converted defensive end, you know, was for, was forced into action in, in, in 2019 and in 2020. And like, you know, I can tell you from the film that like those guys, you know, they're, they're converted defensive ends for a reason, you know, like you could yeah. see it in, in sort of, you know, the, the way that they would catch passes. Um, And, and then you'd watch Spencer Webb's film and you're like, yeah, that guy's a tight end, you know, that dude got hands like that, that dude, you know, and, and, and so finally, like looking at 2022, it, it, it was like, Oh good. You know, uh, finally a chance for this dude to shine, you know, where it's like they had sufficient, you know, number of good blocking tight ends that they could actually afford to sort of go back and use Spencer Webb in 2019, the way that like God intended him to be used, which is sort of a, as a big wire receiver, um, you know, because, you know, the, the messed up, th- the, the reason that I, I talked about this, sort of the messed up health situation of uh, Oregon's tight end room was that like Spencer Webb was just not as good, you know, good of a blocker he just wasn't built that way. I, I don't think um, as, as some of the other tight ends, but like, that dude's great as a big wide receiver sort of split out, which like you can be as a good tight end, you know, Mike Gusecki at Penn state, for example, was that way. Dude is a lousy blocker. He's an NFL tight end because he's a great receiver. Um, and I felt like the way that, you know, for having watched Kenny Dillingham's tape and, and, you know, with Ferdinand and Mattis about kind of locking down those like blocking tight end, you know, roles that like Spencer, Rupp was really like freed up to do that sort of stuff. And then his life was cut short and it sucks. Um, the other, uh, you have an article coming up, um, sort of just a coincidence that you're going to be writing about two tight ends in a row, um, about Cam McCormick, um, who's, you know, may, may surprise some fans is still on the roster. Um, he, uh, you know, he was last seriously playing in 2017, um, in fact, I wrote an article about him back in 2020 that had to go back to his 2017 tape to put, <laughs> to put film out, um, you know, on the guy, I, I, I think he's really good. You know, I, you know, the 2017 tape was really encouraging. He was competing with, for reps with, uh, with Jacob Breland back at the time he was, you know, he was a year behind. And so he was getting fewer, but like it, it was good tape. And then, I mean, walk us through the, the 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 sort of injury situation with Cam McCormick. I mean, if it wasn't a young man getting hurt, it would be funny. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. It it really it it's 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 kind of like, you know, like you said, like it's it's not funny that he's been injured, but it's almost kind of like you you look at it as like a dark joke how how his time at U of O has gone, and just the fact that like you said you have to go so far back to find uh you know reasonable game footage of the guy that you're you're going back to when Justin Herbert who is now you know one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL was a sophomore at Oregon yeah. and just to think that that much time has passed since he's even been able to you know play a good chunk of the season and that he's still here on the roster and this really is you know his like like he's exhausted every every sort of eligibility
2: i mean he's uh, a mega senior i mean i always had i think three years of medical red shirts um yeah Mm -hmm. and and here's Um, the crazy thing you know we've I, i swear this is not the dump on jacob breeland podcast but um in 2018 he really did beat Jacob Breeland out for the starting job. Like I had to do that film study on that Bowling Green tape. He really is like, they were playing two tight ends in that first quarter. He, he, he made it through the end of one quarter of one game in 2018. Um, But he really was the first tight end on the field. It was him and Jacob Breeland and he was getting more, uh, you know, of the reps. Um And, you know, and then he gets injured in that game and misses the rest of the season. And then 2019, we don't have film to confirm this because it apparently happened in fall camp, but you know, I have no difficulty believing it because it did happen the year before he beat out Jacob Breland again in 2019. Um, uh, you know, and then didn't play. Um, and then he wasn't available at all in 2020. A lot of people weren't available at all in 2020. And then in 2021, you know, uh, Spencer Webb's on the team. Uh, they've got two great, you know, true freshmen I mentioned a second ago, uh, Ferguson and Matavau. So it's, you know, it's a oh, look, uh, you know, a full room. And and the play that we'll all remember, you know, it is, you know, the Ohio State game. They're in Columbus. They're backed up on their own goal line. Uh, and, you know, it's a third down, you know, got to have it. Or because if they have to punt, they're going to give Ohio State really great field position. And instead, you know, the ball goes to Cam McCormick. He gets the first down. He takes a hit, goes down with injury. That's it. His season's done. And then, you know, his gallantry is, you know, it it stands regardless of what would have happened. But I'll mention what happened anyway. Oregon goes on to score a touchdown on that drive in a game that they end up winning by seven points. You know, it's not hyperbole to say Cam McCormick won that game for Oregon. Um,
0: yeah, definitely. And it's was, like, it was, you know, if
2: this if this stuff was in a movie, was in a sports movie, you'd be throwing your popcorn at the screen. You're just like, this <laughs> yeah. is so corny, you know, like this yeah. is such a hack writing, you know, like whoever's coding the simulation uh, uh, for this, like, come on, you know, take a script writing class. Like, yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> you, you can talk about a cruel irony, but that was maybe even beyond that, just the fact that, you know what I mean, the first significant big catch and big play that he's made in years and he gets hurt on that play and um, it's it's yeah like I said it's it really is kind of like a, a Pandora's box at this point we're really not sure exactly what we're gonna see from cam McCormick um there's been so many seasons now that it's kind of like been like you know heading in you're like oh okay yeah cam McCormick yeah, I'm excited about this that at this point you're just it, it's more uncertainty. Rather than excitement, so like that's kind of what I'm going to get into in the article. Do we have real reason to be excited about it? And I'm, I'm, you know, there is some reason to be excited about it, but there's also a lot of understandably cautious, you know, like cautious optimism. Because at this point, it's like, what else could really happen? And you almost like don't even want to say that and jinx it. But it really has been the story with him, unfortunately.
2: And, you know, the thing is, if, if he's not healthy and Herbert's not healthy and Webb is unfortunately no longer with us, it's two true sophomores in the Oregon's tight end room, you know, Maliki Matavell and Terrence Ferguson. Now I like those two a lot, you know, those two, you know, may very well be the best pair of tight ends, uh, in the conference. Um, it's just that, you know, the, the number of uh, available scholarship tight ends that Oregon will have is, you know, may very well be limited to those two guys and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, if that's the case uh, it may be that that's just fine. That's all you need. Um, hell, maybe one more than they need, you know, Dillingham tends to run 11 personnel offenses. Yeah. Um, But I don't, you know, it's it's a scary situation, you know. I hope it doesn't sound too macabre to 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 pivot so quickly from from mourning Spencer Webb to like, well, how does this affect the Ducks? But like, I feel like Spencer Webb's a competitor; he would want to know how this is going to affect the Ducks. Um, you know, I can't imagine a more fitting tribute than talking about like how his absence will affect his team on the field, um, and it may be significant.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I think that's kind of, interestingly enough, before I learned of his passing, I was, uh, you know, going to delve into an article about Cam Cormick and kind of like what he would even bring to the team. And now, like I said, I've kind of had to change uh, that up a little bit and, and make it a little more prevalent because then you have the absence of Webb. You know, I was, I was thinking of writing that article with Webb on the team. Mm-hmm. And so now with Web Webb gone, uh, you're looking at like you said, just you know, two sophomores, very talented, highly rated, you know, sophomores, but you know, sophomores nonetheless that don't have like a bevy of, of playing time, uh, don't have a whole lot of experience, you know, still still need to get their blocking down, get their you know their hands nice mm-hmm. and sticky for those catches. Um, is Cam McCormick, you know, does he really become? option numero uno at this point and it's just it's 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 hard to, to think like that because i think oregon over the last decade at least and even looking beyond that has been pretty fortunate with some of the tight ends they've been able to have um but at the same time you know uh, they've, they've had some tight end situations where some uh difficult things happened um you know you had pharaoh brown uh, with that injury, mm-hmm. that that, all, that I could have threatened his life, even. Yeah. And it was nice. It was so great to see him come back from that, be able to finish his senior season. Even though the last season he played was infamously one of the worst seasons Oregon Oregon has had in decades. But the fact that he was able to still get back on the field and and complete that, and then even going back before him, you have probably the most athletic, dangerous tight end as far as pure skill that I think I've ever seen Oregon have in Colt Laerla, And then, and then it just turned out to be a situation where it was a guy that just couldn't, could not keep his, his, his life in order, could not keep it together. And, and unfortunately just because of that, similar to, you know, Cliff Harris wasted one of probably one of the best talents they ever had at the position. So it's man, it's, it's, it's a long road leading up to Cam McCormick's, you know, last hurrah here. And, uh, yeah, but like I
2: said, I'm, I'm definitely I mean,
0: the possibilities. Yeah, I,
2: yeah, it's it's why I said you know you're absolutely right. Like y- you've got to go back pretty far in Oregon history at this point to find like an unmitigated, you know, tight end season for Oregon where you're just like, this was great. You know, uh, we are nothing but smiles. You know about this tight end situation. It's it's been a minute, and you know, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I maybe I shouldn't say this out loud because I'm going to jinx it if I do. But like, if Cam McCormick is healthy and he leads this team, you know, he comes back after four missed seasons and comes back and and finishes the season healthy. uh, You know, I sell the rights to Hollywood, man. Like, I, I mean, what what a comeback! You know, that would be. I mean, that kid's going to graduate with with a doctorate and grandkids uh, from the <laughs> university of Oregon at this point. And, you know, if you, if you haven't read any of the stories, uh, about, you know, what he's had to go through in terms of rehab every year, I mean, it's inspiring. And, um, it is, it, it
0: really is. And Adam, that's why, like I said, it's, it's, it's almost kind of, you know, I had to stop myself from, from, uh, being too biased in the article and turning it into a, uh, you know, how much I'm rooting for him kind of article. Yeah.
2: All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk some women's basketball. So the article that you had written previously, Adam, uh, was about Tahina Pow Pau and uh, the women's basketball team. is a little bit of a retrospective on how the 2021-2022 um, season went, uh, but also sort of looking forward um, to, to Pow Pow's leadership and, and what this team could be. Uh, what do you think that is uh, for her and for the team?
0: Well, uh, the, the thing that I think most people just kind of need to wrap their heads around is that uh, don't 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 start writing off Oregon women's basketball just yet. Uh, I know that it's it's been tough, and and everybody feels like you know we got nixed at our at our one biggest chance to really you know bring home that national title and everything. And you know, looking at it in retrospect, yeah, at the time we did for sure. Can things get back to that level? I I really do believe that they can, um, but. What I went into a little bit with the uh, Tahina Papau article was kind of pointing out that <clears throat> after you had that historic 2020 team that accomplished what they accomplished, you brought in.
2: And then got robbed of what yeah, could have been a yeah. national you, championship. You, you
0: ended up bringing in one of the best classes that, you know, like the, 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 anyone has ever seen. It was a, a consensus undisputed number one class in the country you had five five-star players all across the board and at that point you know the 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 sting of not getting the chance to go after the national title that year was eased a little bit by the fact that like look at this talent we're bringing in look you know look at this this could be a national title in the making and you just never really know till you get them on the court or on the field in in college and from that class tahina was the 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 one member that has kind of lived up to her billing and so (laughs) not trying to throw too much pressure onto her but she, she is kind of starting to seem like Oregon's central hope in getting back to that elite level uh the reason being is because she has proven that like I said she lives up to her billing and she puts up the stats and has the performances on the court to back it up. Now, I think what will be most important for her especially heading into, you know, her upperclassman years is to really become that on-court general. And it's really difficult, you know, to follow in the footsteps of somebody that's Oregon's all-time great. You know what I mean? It's yeah, um. obviously he performed extremely well, but I kind of liken it to uh, Vernon Adams coming in after Marcus Mariota. It's like, okay, how can you ever live up to that? Well, how can you ever live up to Sabrina Ionescu? Um, but I don't necessarily expect her to live up to that as much as I like to see the effect that she has on the team compared to what Sabrina had on the team. Now, you had players with Sabrina that would show up and they would play. You know, you had Ruby Hebert, you had uh, Satusa Bali. Um, you had Aaron Boley, they would, you know, play their roles to perfection. Now, do I think that they would have played those roles to such perfection without an on-court general like Sabrine on the team? Maybe not. And there's a legitimate argument for that. And so I think that, like, that's what Tahina needs to focus on, is really being that kind of on-court presence, um, that the player that you go to, and the one that really kind of raises the game of those around her to the highest level as the point guard and as 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 the court court on court leader and uh, you know kind of the maestro of the whole offense.
2: Well, it, it, it you're right about that. Uh, it, you know, it's not entirely you know up to her. You know, too, it's a, it's a fair comparison to make to UNESCO. You know, because this team, you know, it it does have other, you know, great players come back, you know, like Sedona Prince and India uh, Rogers. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned the, you know, recruiting has been, you know, hadn't missed a beat, you know, the, the, you know, the, this most, you know, recent recruiting class includes, you know, a bunch of blue chips, right. You know, uh, uh, Grace Van Sleuton, um, Jenna Asai, um, Kennedy Basham, Chance Gray, right. Um, and, uh, you know, this seems to be the way that, you know, college basketball is going in the, over the last decade or so is like, yeah, those, those kids are freshmen, but like, so what, you know, you're a freshman, you know, blue chip, you're going to play, you know, right away. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, how that balance works, you know, between Pow Pow and, uh, and Prince and Rogers and some of the young hotshots, um, <clears throat> The other thing that's interesting about the women's basketball team is, you know, usually a good sign for a basketball team is that they have a healthy amount of turnover on the staff because other programs want your staff. Um, there's, uh, there's already, you know, there's already uh, one uh, departure. The, the, the director of. Um, I think the official title for, for Adi Gilden, um, was a director of creativity, um, or student athlete support. You know, I, 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 honestly am not entirely sure what that job, uh, entails, but given how, you know, the upswelling of, um, of social media, you know, support for her, uh, you know, when, when it was announced that, um, the university of Seattle, not the university of Washington at Seattle, but the, private university, <laughs> um, hired her I as an assistant coach. Yeah. So, you know, Oregon support <laughs> staff, uh, moving up, you know, uh, great sign. And then, um, a- and then somebody that, uh, Oregon basketball fans, uh, who've been around for a minute. will remember Mike Moser, uh, uh Kelly Graves brought him on as an assistant coach. Um, he played for Oregon uh, a while ago. I think it was at UCLA, uh, prior to that. Um he was hired as an assistant coach. He was part of uh this most, you know, you know, the the recruiting class that I just mentioned, um, with uh, with Van Sluten and and Bashman Gray and Asai. Um he's gotten hired too uh by the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, a hell of a, a a promotion for that guy. Um you know I haven't officially assigned you to write an article about this yet Adam although I have in the past been in the habit of handing out assignments on this podcast it's it must be electric for our listeners um but uh, you got any thoughts about uh um Moser or or Yilden moving up
0: yeah um i'm i'm definitely in agreement with you um i would yeah maybe like to delve in a little bit on Moser uh just because of the connection that he had with UO and, uh, you know, his playing days and all that. Uh, But I'm in agreement with you that that, that's a good sign. Anytime you have a program where your uh, coaching staff is getting pulled up, that has to mean that they're doing something right. And uh, in in previous years, you know, especially uh, with women's basketball, you definitely weren't seeing that as much because it was just like, well, they weren't on the map. They weren't making enough noise to be like, oh, they're really doing this well. What can this person who works for them bring to our organization? And now you're seeing that a lot more. And uh, I I think it's amazing that Moser was uh, pulled all the way up to the Boston Celtics. Um, I mean, now you're talking, you know, working for one of the more historic sports franchises in the country, if not the world, and uh, in in kind of like, you know, an environment where it's, where it's like, it's, this is a young upstart team that just made the NBA finals and came a few games shy of winning a championship. Also, interestingly enough, the connection between, you know, Peyton Pritchard now playing a significant role for the Celtics and Mike Moser uh, heading over there. Yeah. I think there's definitely enough uh, yeah. material. They, they don't
2: uh, overlap. You know, uh, Moser was, I think last at Oregon in 2014 and, and Pritchard yeah. doesn't start until 2016, but like, yeah, yeah you know, once a duck, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that there, I, I have, you know, just anecdotally I've been noticing more back and forth moves between um, men's and women's uh, basketball coaching. You know, I, 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 it seemed like in the past they were really siloed and that a lot of times Um, coaches, you know, who were just getting started, didn't want to, um, didn't want to coach on the women's side because they felt like, uh, you know, I'm just guessing here, but I I think it's a reasonable inference, you know, that they they didn't want to get pigeonholed, you know, as women's basketball only coach and and feel like they're, you know, that their options would be limited, you know, moving forward. And, and I don't think that's true anymore. Um, You know, and I think that, you know, Mike Moser is a pretty good example of that, you know, that like, and, and there are other examples going the other way too. You know, there are women's basketball coaches who, you, who come over from the men's side. And, you know and vice versa um the, the you know i think it's a good sign you know of the sport maturing and uh, and moving forward and and you know honestly it makes me proud to see you know former oregon player and former oregon coach you know uh, uh demonstrating that kind of flexibility
0: yeah absolutely
2: all right let's take a break uh when we come back we'll talk some oregon ducks football
1: i'm alex rodriguez
2: Well, Adam, uh, I published my 60th duck dive article in my time oh. writing for Addicted to Quack. Uh, it has been five years starting in the 2018 season in which I previewed all 12 Pac-12 teams. Uh, there still are 12 teams in the Pac-12, um, for the moment. Uh, so this was, uh, uh you know, the, the most recent, uh, of them. I always save Oregon for last for obvious reasons. Um, it was, uh, it has been an excellent project. All, all thanks go to uh, Adam Chimeo our, our emeritus glorious leader, um, who, uh, who hosts the podcast that we do our podcast interviews on it. Basically that's my like cheat sheet is, uh, you know, like I, I, I write sort of a rough draft version of the article. And then I essentially read my rough draft to some poor sod that we've roped in who writes about the other team, you know, and be like, did I miss anybody? Did I screw this up? Did I miscategorize this person? And then I, you know, get all that, like, you know, I don't have an editor now, but that person is my editor. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but I don't have anybody to do that for me for Oregon. Like I, I, you know, I, I gotta like, get this stuff figured out on my own. It's tragic. I know I I can, I can feel the sympathy coming through the microphone from you, Adam. Um, (laughs) Uh, but you know, the other thing that I can say about it is about saving Oregon for last is that like, you know, Oregon's the most talented team in the conference. I I hope that is not a controversial thing to say. Um, you know, it is like you can verify, you can look at the two, four, seven, you know, ratings. Um, it's, uh, it's also a very well balanced roster. And, you know, in, in something of a surprise, given that the entire coaching staff turned over it and they had some departures, you know, is sort of inevitable when these things happen. Um, it's, it remains a well-balanced roster. You know, it's really hard to poke holes in the team. You know, it's a little thin at cornerback, but that's pretty much it. Um, it's, you know, this, I, I've actually been pretty impressed with the job. This staff has done in terms of like, you know, they took some judicious transfers to, to, to pave in some holes and, you know, they kept guys from leaving who were getting itchy and, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, but, you know, they, they inherited a cupboard that was well-stocked, you know, uh, one of my think one of the things that, that i said on on adam tomato's podcast was that like you know I, I know that we're all constitutionally required to hate mario cristobal now but like you gotta give it up for the dude he stocked Oregon's cupboards right
0: yeah no oh, 100 um like i said it's a lo- love-hate relationship um mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely gonna kind of benefit from a lot of the talent that he brought in um but I agree with the, your, you know, your take that uh, the, the new coaching staff seems to be just kind of like uh, picking up where he left off in a sense. Um, I don't see the Oregon brand uh, really suffering any, any big setbacks at this point. They still uh, really present themselves, at least on paper, like you said, as the most talented team in the conference, kind of you know, like the pride of the Pac-12. Now, obviously that has to be proven on the field uh, because we all thought that last year until Utah came along. And hmm. pretty much just out toughed us and everything and outclassed us. <laughs> uh, can't let that kind of thing happen. Uh, g- Got to stay focused on that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to assume that Oregon will be right there uh, competing for the Pac 12 title this year, given the kind of talent they have, uh, given what this coaching staff has shown, how well they can adapt. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a pretty fun season in a couple of months.
2: Well, you know, I think you're right that they're probably, they got a date with the PAC 12 title game, even though they, you know, the, the, the conference has done away with divisions, like simply because, you know, look, I, I know the non-con is brutal, you know, it, it. yeah. I mean, I don't know who thought it was a good idea to play Georgia in Atlanta. Um, I don't know who's who thought it was a good idea to schedule Eastern Washington, you know, one of the most dangerous FCS teams in existence. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to schedule BYU. Um, you know, who's coming off a couple of great seasons. Um, you know, technically, you know, this is a team that's going to be playing 11 power five teams. Uh, uh, when, you know, if you think about BYU in that way, um, on the other hand, the you know, and, and so therefore, like two and one, or maybe even one and two, you know, out of the non-con is you know, is, you know, possibility, but the conference schedule sets a really nicely for the ducks. Like, uh, you know, just restricting themselves to the PAC 12, they miss USC, you know, usually it's, you know, pretty good. They miss ASU, which like, you know, okay. I I understand that team may be a dumpster fire by the end of the year, but like, they're still right in the middle of the pack in terms of talent. And like, yeah, I'd, you know, and that, that team sort of strikes me as a cornered animal. Um, you know, like I, I, if, if I'm the ducks, I would rather miss ASU than miss Colorado or miss Arizona. Like, I know that everybody's like rooting for Jed fish now and as well, they might, but just like, you know, if you just, you know, even though that guy's, you know, made a big talent leap for Arizona, they're still way behind Arizona state. Um, You can't miss USC and UCLA. The Pac-12 rules forbid that, um, at least for now, (laughs) Um, which means like there's only one possible way the schedule could be better, which is, you know, be missing Utah instead of UCLA. So like, okay, it's the second best schedule conceivable, but like the five road games that they play are Wazoo, Arizona, Colorado, Cal, and, uh, and Oregon state. The, those are the five least talented teams in the conference. I mean, literally, it's one, two, three, four, five. You know, least talented teams. Um, and, and the four, you know, home games that they get are, you know, Oregon's got to be licking their chops because it's, you know, it, it it's UCLA uh you know who might be a danger it's Utah who they're looking for revenge it's uh Washington always a game uh and it's uh and it's Stanford and you know you better believe they're looking for revenge against Stanford you know like uh you know it 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 sets up pretty nicely for uh you know I'm not gonna say nine and oh because there's no such thing as nine and oh in the Pac twelve. I mean literally there's no such thing as nine and oh in the pack in the history of the Pac 12. But like it's setting up for you know if it, if they're not 8 and 1 in conference i i'd kind of be shocked not shocked but like you know what i mean like I, i'm sort of like if they're yeah. not 8 and 1 something went wrong you know
0: yeah, you know absolutely um i think an interesting thing to keep an eye on this season too um is that this this may have kind of flown over people's heads pardon the pun but uh, Oregon is in the midst of one of their longest home winning streaks in football history. A, a streak that we haven't seen since Akili Smith and uh, Joey Harrington were under center for Oregon. Mm. Uh, they have not lost a home game since September of 2018 at this yeah,
2: point. Yeah, an- another bizarre loss to Stanford. Yeah. I don't know what it is about those guys. Yeah, it's, exactly. And you know, if you Even Sean is bizarre craziness of that
0: one. Yeah, yeah right. you could be looking at an even longer streak and that's what I think is really going to be interesting. Um I think you have two teams coming in uh to Oregon's house that could really challenge that streak in BYU and particularly Utah. Interestingly enough, you know, they're both from, you know, the same state and they're they're rivals in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um I do think that, you know, like you said, you, you know, you look at BYU and you think, oh, not a powerful. But no, BYU is the real deal. Uh, they've, they've proven they're the real deal. Right. Um, they were the only Pac
2: undefeated Pac-12 teams last year. Yeah, like, exactly. Five and O against the Pac-12.
0: Yeah. And so, you, you know, you have them coming in for, I think, you know, what's maybe being overlooked a little bit simply because of the magnitude of the Georgia game. Uh, but uh, this is this is one of the bigger non-conference opponents to visit Autzen Stadium in quite some time, and uh, we all know looking back, you know, to the '90s through the 2000s and even to the 2010s, what's happened when big non-conference opponents come to Autzen Stadium, and it generally has voted pretty well for Oregon. Um, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm and particularly the game against Utah. You know, this is going to be, by the, by that point, it's really going to be, you know, the, the season's starting to wind down. It's in November. Uh, both teams have figured out what they're all about and everything. It'll be very similar to last year, except that Oregon is going to have revenge on their mind. And so and, and home I field think that advantage. might be one of the most intriguing things to look at is, is these, these two huge games at Autzen Stadium where Oregon has not had a blemish in, in years now.
2: Yeah. And the other thing, you know, about, you know, Oregon going last in this in this series. And then as soon as I'm done with it, you know, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to start writing about, you know, Georgia. I've got uh, I've got film study coming up uh, for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be, you know, really diving into Georgia's film. I've already done some preliminary stuff just so I can speak semi-intelligently about um, Dan Lanning's defense. But, you know, I, I, I'm i going to have a, you know, a full article breaking down, you know, Dan Lanning's mint front defense, um, which I'm obviously going to be referencing quite a bit of Georgia film in order to do and and uh, and, and and then of course I'm going to write a big, you know, preview article of you know, the Georgia Bulldogs cause they're Oregon's opener. Um, and, you know, so I construct, you know, the same type of roster database for, for Georgia, um, as I do for any of the Pac-12 teams in this series, you know, and I, I use those same tools to, you know, for Ohio state, uh, you know, for the last couple of years and, and, and well, you know, all of Oregon's opponents, frankly, and, you know, I've had to do it a lot, you know, lately I did for Auburn, you know, uh, you know, before that, uh, uh, and, and several other teams. Um, and I did it for Oklahoma, you know, and, you know, so, you know, t- t- two different FCC teams, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and blue bloods and, and, and and, uh, and, and so, you know, I have those, I have spreadsheets, you know, made up, you know, out of my database, you know, in which I, you know, color code these things so that I can talk about them on podcasts with easy visual references. And like the way that those sheets look, for Oklahoma, for Ohio State, for Auburn, for uh, for Georgia, those sheets look a lot more like Oregon's sheets than Oregon sheet looks like Pac-12 sheets. You know, like Oregon is really separating itself, and, and and the stuff that I'm referring to is not just like what their talent level is, um, but like how um, balanced it is across classes. Uh, you know, like I, I have visual systems that let me see like, when did kids, you know, start playing college football? When did they start getting playing time? You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, w- our transfers coming in who are like, you know, jumping the queue, you know, in front of you. And that's what I see like consistently out of the, you know, the sec teams and the blue bloods is that like, it's this orderly progression. You know, they take the freshmen, the freshman red shirt that, you know, that they get more playing time as sophomores, they get more playing times juniors and they go to the NFL. So it was very consistent, like, you know, treadmill of success. And, I don't see the treadmill of success at 11 out of 12 Pac-12 teams. You know, I really that's that's sort of like one of the reasons I save Oregon for the last is that it's like and now to talk about a team that takes football seriously. Um and you know, maybe USC is going to be taking football seriously in the future, but Lincoln Riley is inheriting a roster where like famously that dudes had to take like you know, look at all the transfers, right? Like he's he's you know been forced into that situation. And like I really like the way that Oregon's roster sets up. You know, like they're they're loaded at the skill talent, you know, positions. So like every one of the skill talent players that they are likely to play, with the exception of Noah Whittington, who's himself a proven commodity at least. You know, he got like 101 carries last year. Every one of them are, are, are four stars, right? Like Cardwell, Marquise Irving, Jordan James, uh, you know, the running backs. Um, Terrence Ferguson, Leakey Matavau, the, the tight ends, um, uh, Patrick Herbert, uh, y- the entire wide receiver core. I mean, literally every single one of them, Chris Hudson, Seth McGee, J- you know, Josh Delgado, Justice Lowe, Troy Franklin, Donnie Thornton, Isaiah Crawford, Isaiah Brizard, uh, Chase Cota, Caleb Chapman, Kyle Casper, uh, every single human being that I just mentioned, the entirety of Oregon's wide receiver core for four stars. This has never happened before. Um, you know, that they are returning all five starters in the offense line and, and two, you know, experienced backups. They, you know, on the defensive line, this is like kind of technical, but like they, you know, not only do they have a bunch of experienced dudes, but like, you know, and, you know, a deep rotation, but like everybody is the right body type, you know, for, for this three down front, like the, the, the body types that you want for zero and four, I are simply different than the type of body types that you are looking for you know with four down front you know where where you're putting on you know a one a three and a couple of sixes for example like for example Christian Williams um left the team and you know we're all sad but that his body type is not you know he's not big enough to play nose and he's not long enough to play a four eye that that dude is meant to be like a three tech um and he transferred to Mizzou where you know should surprise no one they play a four to five you know and I, I i don't know anything about bazoo other than that that but like i wouldn't be surprised if he starts playing right away because he's really good he was a four star you know it's just his body type didn't fit the system so like yeah entirely appropriate that you know he transfers out like but but everybody else like literally everybody else in the room they're gonna run four deep at nose tackle and they're all appropriate bodies they're all 300 pounds you know they all are that sort of like you know, a, a, a appropriate body type for it. every one of the four eyes, Doralus, Maya, uh, uh, where Hudson, Pody, Keanu Williams, Jake Shipley, Michael, Af- uh, Afiasi, you know, Casey Rogers, um, the, the, the other Nebraska transfer, Ben Roberts, the true freshman, like every one of them, like I pulled up their, you know, I, I pulled up their huddle film just to double check on this, even for, you know, for, for Robert, uh, Roberts. And it's like, Yes, the you know long arms, two hundred and eighty pounds. Like yes, there you go. That's what you want. You know, you know you, you want dudes who are like six three, six four, six five, long arms and about two hundred and eighty pounds to play four I and clog the B gap and the tight front. It's Like you know, perfect. The you know the outside linebackers they lose Ooh. Cave on Thibodeau. I know you know it's real sad. They're probably not going to have that like like otherworldly pass rush, but they return Mace Funa and Braden Swinson and DJ Johnson, who are all you know look great and you know it's deep too. You know a bunch of backup who got playing time last year like Brandon Buckner uh Inside linebackers. I mean, I, like we've gone this long, we haven't talked about. They've got Justin Flo and Noah Sewell a pair of five stars at inside linebacker. And because of the injury situation last year, all these, you know, all the backups are super experienced. Jeff Bassa and, and Keith Brown and 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 Jackson Laduke and, and you know all these guys. They've got two true freshmen who played in the spring game. Devin Jackson, Heroes Taggart he look really good. Like the the cornerback situation. I mean, it's thin. You, you know, like they're they're going to have to hope that Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning are healthy the entire year. But like. It's it's talented, right? Like Avanti Dickerson is a four star, Jill Tuckles a four star, Jill Florence is a four star. You know, like I, you know, I if one of those guys takes an injury, but you know, another one of the four stars steps up, they could still be just fine. You know, like young corners tend to get beat. I know, but like the, you know, it, it's it is a more talented group. They just need like three more experienced bodies, and I'd be raving about it. Or not even three, maybe one. You know, uh, you know, and then the safeties, you know, finally, you know, it looks like this group is you know healthy. Again, they got a bunch of good news. You know, Bre- Bennett Williams is healthy again. You know, Jamal Hill comes back. Triquoise Bridges is coming over from the cornerback room. Who's, you know, he's built more like a safety. Uh, Damon David returned to the team. J.J. Greenfield returned to the team. Jonathan Flo, the little brother of Justin, got converted, you know, from a linebacker to a safety. You know, they got two, you know, really good looking four-star uh, freshmen in, in Trajan Williams and Kamari Terrell. Like, like, uh, okay, I just named Oregon's entire roster. You know, I don't think I missed a single <laughs> human being. I'm, I, I apologize about that I, I you know oh, i missed the quarterbacks bo nicks and ty thompson Jay butterfield in case anybody was curious about that and didn't know uh okay i just named the entire oregon uh roster on scholarship uh <laughs> you're welcome um but you know my point is like do you hear me name a, a two-star did you hear no. me name like a, you know, there is actually one walk on Ryan walk appropriately named, uh, you know, did you hear me name, you know, any position that, you know, besides cornerbacks, it's thin or, or a single position at all in which they're not starting like experienced dudes, you know, who who play, you know, I, I you know, every, you know, every one of these dudes has played extensive college football i just i just ran through this entire list including what oregon's too deep is likely to be every one of them has played college football extensively before like none of them are like oh i guess we'll find out if that dude lives up to his recruiting ranking nope like you know it is talented it is experienced it is well balanced across classes and positions there's you know there's none of these things like i encounter with the other teams in the pac-12 where it's like oh yeah you got a really great recruiting class but it's at these three positions and you forgot to recruit your lines or you got a bunch of dudes on the defensive line. Um, but everybody else is losing, leaving your team, le- you know, in, in and out it looks like a dumpster fire. You know, I think we all know what team I'm talking about there. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's it, it is it is absolutely remarkable and, and just you know i i know this is not a visual medium but but i am looking at a color-coded spreadsheet when i look at oregon's color-coded spreadsheet and then i tab over and look at every other Pac 12 team it oregon doesn't look like it belongs it looks like it belongs what i have you know with the teams in the other end which is the non-con you know teams it it looks like i'm not saying that oregon has ohio state's roster it doesn't have Georgia's roster it doesn't have oklahoma's roster it Actually kind of has a pretty comparable roster to Auburn. Auburn weirdly under-recruited a few positions, but eh, side note, uh, like Oregon doesn't look like it belongs in the Pac-12. Like their roster, it's just qualitatively different. Um, You know, it's not quite, you know, like I said, it's not Georgia or or. Ohio states, I I haven't done this project for Alabama or Clemson's, but I sort of imagine that Alabama and Clemson look the same way where it's like, it's, it's nothing but five stars and four stars and it's super orderly and there's, you know, zero or only one maybe transfer, Um, you know, but it, it looks more like that you know than than other Pac-12 teams where it's just this cobbled together hodgepodge of two stars and guesses and like Uh oops you know oops we graduated all our linebackers and I have no idea if this dude could play um or like or like okay they're they're going through some scheme changes right Oregon's going through some scheme changes they got a new offensive quarter and a new defensive coordinator did they you know you know that So Joe Moorhead was an RPO 11 personnel guy. Who'd they hire? Kenny Dillingham. Well, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to run. You know what I'm pretty sure he's not going to run is like John Donovan's flipping offense or Mike Sanford or excuse me, Mark Sanford's, you know, offense where it's like, oh, we're going to run jumbo sets and, and, and under center stuff like, no, man, you know, it's, you know, Kelly Dillingham's going to wind up running an offense that looks an awful lot like Joe Moorhead. And it's going to be a fairly smooth transition into an 11 personnel, uh, you know, spread option offense you know like are there going to be some different wrinkles and priorities yeah of course but like the positions all map on just fine Um, and on the defense right like you know okay Oregon's been playing you know a three down front for all these years right like ever since Brady Hoke got fired at the end of 2016 Oregon's been in three down front with an outside linebacker two ILBs and a nickel on the back end Uh, they did that for Jim Levitt they did that with Andy Avalos they did that with Tim DeRuiter Uh, again all those guys sort of had different priorities you know there's a stud backer for Avalos and and you know, et cetera. But like, uh, but the personnel all maps on appropriately, right? Like, you know, I, I, the reason I spent all that time talking about like the four eyes and how they differ from a four down front is because that's what the Oregon body type is. And of these 11 other teams, these yeah. pac 12 teams like how many times did i say on these podcasts just like well they're going through a scheme change and none of the bodies fit and so i don't know how this is going to work it's going to be you know a year or two before they make that adjustment is that going to be a problem for oregon no no sir you know they got dudes where these guys map cleanly onto their new jobs and no one's going to have to relearn football from scratch or try to fit their body type into a scheme that doesn't you know match what they want it to do like i like i you know yeah. you know i say i save oregon for the end for obvious reasons but in many ways i should do oregon first so it could be like okay this is how you're supposed to manage a roster and now with that in mind we'll look at how all the other Pac-12 teams are screwing it up because that's what they're doing man like it's yeah. just astonishing it's just astonishing how unprofessional the roster management is for the other 11 teams in this league and, yeah. and uh, i mean- you know Yeah. I've been ranting for a while. And for anybody who's not an Oregon fan who's listening, this is getting mad at me. Like, don't get mad at me. I'm the messenger. The the people who have uh, failed you uh, are the people who your school is employing and paying a lot more money um, than anybody's paying me. Uh, (laughs) I, I don't. Yeah recruit better manage your roster better and you'll have good results oregon you know in many ways you know had some management problems in, in, in 2021 they won 10 games you know why they won uh 10 games Jimmy's and joes because when you manage mm-hmm. your roster appropriately and you fill it with a lot of talent that you can have management problems and they just roll over people and yeah. that's that
0: yeah and uh, i think that's something to keep in mind too you know the The way last season ended uh, left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, But at the same time, you look at it and you say, yeah, we had double-digit wins. Uh, They beat Ohio State in the horseshoe. And uh, for the better part of the season, they were up there in the college football playoff conversation.
2: And And it's like, even even if you believe the absolute worst about Mario Cristobal, you also have to reconcile with the fact that they won 10 games. And how do you come to that conclusion? Well, well, you know, I'm not a pessimist about this team, but if I were doing my impression of a pessimist about this team, my impression would be about the 2021 team. I mean, well, how'd they win 10 games? Well, he just had so much of a talent advantage over all the other teams that he played that Mm -hmm. like, he didn't have to know how to coach. Like, you know, he just rolled over them with their talent. And he's sort of, my response to that is like, Number one, oh, they just rolled over Ohio State with their talent. Hmm, that's what an interesting referendum. And number two is like, okay, Oregon has a more talented team in 2022 than they had in 2021. They have a coaching staff, which I don't believe will be checked out, uh, you know, and they enjoy a bigger talent advantage over their opponents, um, with the exception of Georgia, than they did last year. Like, what do you think is going to happen?
0: Honestly, um, I think it all, it all kind of rides on um, just the, the team cohesion and, and their mindset. I really think from a talent standpoint, it's, it's, it's absolutely like you said. It's not like Utah is really on our level. They just displayed more cohesion. Um, they, they had more fire to them, and they had more of a hunger to go after it. I liken yeah. it a lot to the reason that Boise State beat us a couple times in 2008 and 2009. There is no way Boise State had the more talented roster than us. They were just hungrier, they were, they were, they were tougher on the field, and they just kind of outclassed us. And um, I think as long as you see Oregon doesn't fall into that trap, um, I really do see them... I, I, I see absolutely no reason... No reason whatsoever this year why we will not be in a uh, New Year's Six game. Um, the first game against Georgia is brutal. Uh, there's no other way around it. Um, do I think it's more brutal than facing Ohio State in the horseshoe? Not not necessarily. you know, Nobody really thought we could win that game, so you really never know what's going to happen. Playing devil's advocate and just assuming that we do not beat Georgia and Atlanta, that's still probably one of the most quality losses you're going to be able to have. And sure. moving forward in that, like I said, you you have two legitimate teams after that that you're facing, and they're both at home. And in all likelihood, you're going to get two shots at Utah. Um, I, don't, I don't see how they don't get two shots at Utah. Mm-hmm. And really, to make a New Year's 6 game, all you have to do is beat Utah one of those times? Uh, because if they beat them at Austin and then lose the, the the conference title game, at that point you're talking a team that you know what I mean. Only lost the conference title game to you know a ranked opponent and and at Georgia, that team's getting an at large bid to a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, you beat Utah, you know uh, the, the the like one of the two times and one of those two times is the Packers 12 game. You're going to the Rose Bowl. Um, so I, I, I agree yeah, with you. I, I think- mean,
2: a 12 and one conference champ is, I mean, it, it, like, I have a hard time seeing that happening some, because like nobody ever went, like it, you would either have to go nine and zero and then win the conference championship game, um, and, and that way you could afford a loss to Georgia and still make the playoffs, which, you know, no one ever goes undefeated or you have to beat. Georgia and limit yourself to only one slip up in the Pac-12 which like come on let's not be unrealistic it is a new staff you know there's enough threats in the Pac-12 um but like so like you know a one loss season i don't know if that's in the cards but if they get it they're going to the playoffs um or if it's you know they're they're 12 and 0 going into the t- i mean if they're 12 and 0 going into the title game and they lose the title game, then of course they're playing a New Year Six Bowl, and they might wind up going to the to the playoffs anyway. Yeah. You know, like there's there are scenarios, and we you know non-conference champions have gone to the playoffs before. But like, I don't want to you know contemplate one loss you know scenarios like the, the you know I, I don't really see that. It's hard, but like
0: yeah, it's it's dicey when you're talking one loss scenarios. That's why, like I said, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of downgrading it a bit. I'm going with a two loss scenario, but I like the, the point that I'm just trying to drive home is you're, you're going to have two shots at Utah and you just have to win one of those to make a new year six game.
2: Right. You know, like if, if it's a loss to Georgia and split, you know, one and two against Utah, like it's hard to imagine that Oregon doesn't make a, a new year six Bowl. Um, And like, you know, we're discounting the possibility of losses coming from other places, right? You know, BYU could beat them. It's the Pac-12. They got to play in Pullman. They got to play in Tucson. Um, Although I will note it's, it's in Pullman in September before it gets real cold and it's in Tucson in October, you know, after the worst of the heat has passed. So, you know, that's nice too. Um,
0: As long as it's not Tucson in November. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know it, it's the pack 12 it's just like it's really yeah. hard to imagine you know even if they wind up beating utah once or or twice if they see him again uh you know it's just you know everybody slips up you know this conference man um but like yeah you know i, I think you know i i i think you know any uh not not counting the just counting the 12 teams that are currently on the schedule, like not counting any p- potential conference championship game or, or postseason stuff. Uh, you know, the, the odds makers have set it, I think at, at, at nine or nine and a half. Um, you know, and the question is whether or not you take the under or the over and like the way that this team sets up based, you know, comparing to the West, the, the way that the rest of the PAC 12 sets up, you know, I got to, I got to say, I'm going to take the over, you know, um, now would the under, you know, shock me, no, you know, not at all. Um, I think if they won eight games, I would probably say something, you know, if, if, if a time traveling version of myself came back and told me that Oregon went eight and four, um, and then ask like how do you guess that happened you know my guess would be like oh the quarterback got injured you know or or that they had like a really run you know a bad run of injuries at like at a position they can't afford at like cornerback or something like that um uh you know something something went wrong um you know but something would have to go wrong for this team to lose four games um the like the 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 conference schedule is just so it sets up so nicely and the talent advantage is just so over, you know, every team that they're scheduled to play is so big. I mean, it's hard to overstate that they miss USC and the next most talented team in the conference is Washington. Washington took a big step back in terms of their average talent rating over the last two years. They have lost, they have net lost 13 blue chips.
0: Washington has. And Um, you kind of knew that was going to happen when Peterson left.
2: Yeah. Well, not just because i mean yes that happened but then you know people had talked themselves into believing that lake was gonna oh it's the it, hell the recruiting could even improve because chris peterson was kind of a fuddy-duddy but jimmy lake he looks like he's a real young go-getter who could really relate with the young athletes of today i can't imagine why they want to believe that that definitely <laughs> reflects super well on washington's the super progressive fan base but anyway um the uh, uh yeah you know obviously that didn't happen uh the, you know the the, the two-year jimmy lake period you know presided over a mass exodus of blue chip talent out of washington um including bizarrely uh six blue chip defensive backs left and zero blue chip defensive backs in um to for at least comprising the 2022 roster um like yeah and that's the number three you know that's the most talented team that oregon is is scheduled to play in the Pac 12 yeah um like, thank,
0: thank you. Thank you, Washington, by the way, for that um, uh, perfect yeah, three down body that we nabbed from you for our defense too. Uh
2: you know, the, the, y- <laughs> yeah. And thanks for the wide receiver coach. And, you know, thanks for self-destructing, you know, and, and giving up all the Washington talent, you know, the state of Washington talent that Oregon has uh, recently acquired. Um, you know, the, the, you know, that's, that's the most talented team that Oregon plays, you know, a team that's got a lot of problems and that, you know, and that whose tent pole, their defensive backs, you know, is, is now the weakest, you know, probably in the conference, um, in terms of their, their cornerbacks, at least, um, like, you know, anybody in the PAC 12 beating them with the exception of Utah, where, you know, because of what happened last year, in fact that team sort of consistently punches above its weight class, um, Anybody in the pack tool beating the ducks would be a surprise. Like yeah, it, I you know, agree. It, I okay, guess if put it this uh, way, they're going to be favored in every game that they play. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, in the pack tool. I agree. And and like I said, that's that's why at least for now, um, you know, we're still in, in the midst of summer right now, in the dog days of summer. Um, you know, could my opinion change closer to you know kickoff the season? Maybe uh, for now, but the, yeah, that's why I'm 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 calling for uh, a, a ten 2 ten two season. Uh, honestly i think that, oh, that's what we're looking at i mean that's I what the roster at, looks like yeah, yeah. like an and 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 unlike unlikely that they beat georgia very unlikely and then i think to be honest just given like i said kind of like the newness of this team unlikely that they beat utah twice in one season so the, in in my humble opinion if you were going to ask me an, an early prediction here in in july That's, that's what I would, I would look at. I would, I would say you're looking at a two loss team that's heading to a new year's six.
2: Well, it's just, it's what, even if I didn't know what the schedule was, I would say 10 and two simply because that's what this roster looks like. You know, like, you know, it it is not, it is, it is not yet anyway, a roster that looks like Georgia or Alabama or Clemson or Ohio state where like you, with that roster, it should be a 12 and zero season. You know, and if they lose its front page news on Sunday, Um, like they don't have that roster yet. They have the roster of a 10 and two team, Um, which, you know, yeah, Uh, you know, they're on a trajectory and it certainly looks like the way that Lanning and co have been recruiting looks like they're, you know, going to continue that trajectory to get there sooner rather than later. Um, you know, it's, it's been quite impressive, uh, you know, this run, uh, it certainly got us all hooked to to blue chips. (laughs) Um, you know, to, to read Oregon boards that are like panicking over like, Oh my God, they're thinking about taking a three star. Like this is, you know, (laughs) guys, Alabama has a couple of three stars, you know, like Georgia has a couple of three stars, but anyway, like, yeah, it's not, it's not quite that, you know, it's nothing but five stars, you know, roster yet. It's a 10 and two roster. And, and you look at the schedule and you're like, yeah, this is a 10 and two schedule. And so like, yeah, I would expect 10 and two unless something, you know, goes wrong. Uh you know, but you can never really predict what's going to go wrong. You can sort of, you can, you you can give yourself insurance uh, uh, against stuff going wrong by having a well-balanced and experienced roster, which I think they have, but like you can never fully protect yourself from really bad luck. Um, which, you know, ducks sort of seem prone to, you know, we've talked about two different goofy ass Stanford losses, which like, I feel like any objective observer would have to conclude similarly that those were goofy. Um, you know uh uh so you know who knows you know don't take this as betting advice don't don't gamble at all it's stupid um but like yeah this looks like a 10-2 team um i don't know yeah, i'm looking forward to it all right adam i think it's going to do us for tonight uh you have any parting words for us um
0: remember spencer webb you know raise raise a glass for him and his family um, a, a tragic loss way too soon. Uh, that being said, um, always hold on to hope and, uh, always hold on, you know, to excitement and good feelings. And I think there's a lot of hope and excitement and good feelings surrounding this football team heading into the fall.
2: Yeah, you bet. All right. Stay safe, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.